0: If you haven't already opened up your Bibles, uh, please do so now to Acts 13. I am uh, the head coach for my daughter, Mill basketball team. So <clears throat> she plays for Bluegrass United Homeschool. And uh, I'm just, I'm really super excited about uh, our upcoming season. Um, if you know Mark and uh, Colleen Gordon, uh, three of their four daughters play on the team, and it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be really good this year. And uh, I've, I, uh, I helped coach JP's team for 10 years, which is kind of crazy. But uh, then he graduated high school, and so I took last year off Uh, But this year, jumping back into it for Milbrian senior year, and uh, just really, really looking forward to it. Now, we just finished uh, two weeks of summer camp, as I called it. Uh, We had some practices. We had an all-day clinic. uh, And then we scrimmaged. uh, One night, we scrimmaged Garrett County uh, down in Lancaster. And then on Wednesday, we drove up to Campton, uh, Kentucky, where we scrimmaged Wolf County High School. Uh, and so we were up there Wednesday morning uh, and did great. We won both halves, played well, and we were, we were driving back uh, down the parkway to the interstate there um, about noon on Wednesday. And as we were coming back, and I had a van full of girls, the topic of conversation for the entire ride back was about a lost submarine. Now, I don't know uh, if you had a moment like that this past week where you found yourself talking uh, with a group of people about a lost submarine. But uh, one of the girls uh, brought it up on her phone and actually uh, she had live video footage of the search and rescue mission as it was happening. Um, And so I'm just assuming everyone knows what I'm talking about. Uh, But just in case you don't, um, it's not actually a submarine, I learned. This was a new word for me. It's actually a submersible. So we're just going to call it a sub. that work? So uh, it was a 21-foot-long sub named the Titan, and there were five explorers on board who departed for their journey under the sea about 6 a.m. last Sunday morning, and they were out in the Atlantic Ocean about 900 miles east of Cape Cod, and they were going to dive down about 13,000 feet below the sea level. To view the ruins of the Titanic that now rests on the ocean floor. And so, just to give you some perspective, 13,000 feet is two and a half miles. So, I need, I need like markers, for, you know, that doesn't really mean a whole lot to me. But right here at Southside Church of Christ, we are two and a half miles from the Fayette Mall. So, that kind of gives you an idea. So, this sub went down under the water. Planned to go 13,000 feet, about two and a half miles down, to view the wreckage of the Titanic. The descent was supposed to take two and a half hours, but about an hour and a half in, they lost communication with the sub. And GPS evidently doesn't work underwater. And so no one knew where it was, it was lost. There was some talk of it possibly being stuck in the wreckage. No one knew. It was a mystery. And so a search and rescue mission began. They knew the crew on board had roughly about 96 hours of oxygen. And so that meant as long as the vessel was intact, then they could remain alive until Thursday morning. And so here it was on Wednesday at lunchtime. And we're driving back in the car, and we're watching the live updates of this search and rescue mission. Now, this is crazy, but they were combing an area of the Atlantic Ocean, the size of the state of Connecticut, to try to find the lost sub. And, you know, I just know the girls in my van, as we talked about, these five guys who at the time we thought were trapped in this sub, 13,000 feet under the, under the sea. Um, all we could talk about was our desire for them to be rescued. We wanted them to be rescued. The girls asked questions that I didn't know the answers to. Can, can someone go down after them? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I've watched a lot of movies. Bruce Willis seems to be able to do stuff like that. Tom Cruise, surely. I, but I don't know. I didn't, I don't know. You know, and, and if, we, if we could go down and we found them, then what? Right? How do you go about rescuing them from a sub? There were a lot of questions and no answers. But one thing was certain. We wanted them to be rescued. The main question was, can someone rescue them? Well, there was bad news on Thursday morning at around 9 a.m. They found debris of the sub about a third of a mile away from the Titanic wreckage. Um, So it's now believed that the sub most likely imploded on Sunday on its way to the wreckage. And it's a tragic story. Uh, despite the best efforts of the U.S. Coast Guard and other international agencies, they searched, but they did not rescue. You know, simply put, we can summarize the bad news that we received on Thursday morning about the lost law, the law sub in this way. There was no rescuer. There was no rescuer. Well... As we turn to our text this morning here in Acts chapter 13, the content of Paul's message here can be summarized just as simply. But instead of bad news, Paul shares what he calls here good news. And allow me to summarize the good news we receive here in this way. There is a rescuer. There is a rescuer. That's why it's such good news. Have you ever wondered, what is the gospel? Why, Why is it such good news? Well, Paul summarizes the content of the gospel here in the first 10 verses, between verses 13 and verses 23, in this way There is a rescuer. In verse 23, Paul says, from this man's descendants, he's referring to King David, God has brought to Israel the Savior. That word there can also be translated the deliverer, can also be translated the rescuer, Jesus, just as he promised. Paul and Barnabas uh, leave behind the island of Cyprus, that's where we found them last week, and now they head for Pisidian Antioch. Now, their sending church is Antioch in Syria, but this is Antioch and Pisidia, so it's two different cities with the same name, just so you don't get confused. So Luke tells us here in verse 14 that on the Sabbath, they enter the synagogue and they sit down. Now, this is their pattern. Whenever they go into a new city, they go first to their own people. Right? They begin with the familiar. They, they start with who they know. And so they're at the synagogue, and after the reading of the law and the prophets, the synagogue rulers send word to them saying, Brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, then please speak. Now here's my question to you this morning. If you are in their shoes... And you are given the opportunity to speak to the people, what would you say? What would you say? Do you know the number one reason why people don't tell others about Jesus? It's not because they're not given opportunities, and it's not because they're afraid. The number one, people, number one reason that people give as to why they don't tell others about Jesus is because they're not sure what to say. They're not sure what to say. So if you were in Paul and Barnabas' shoes and you were asked to speak to these people, what would you say? Last week, I said that we've all been called to share the good news. Peter would say in 1 Peter chapter 3 that we're to always be prepared to give an answer to the reason for the hope that we have, not just the preacher, not just the extroverts in the crowd, but all of us are to be prepared to share the good news about Jesus. And so if I asked you to come up here this morning and to encourage the church by sharing with us the good news about Jesus, what would you say? Well, better than that question this morning, I want to ask this question. What did Paul say? What did Paul say? Because let's start there. Let's learn from what Paul said so that when the Lord does give us an opportunity to share the good news about Jesus, then we'll feel prepared. We'll have something to say. So let's begin here in verse 16 and look at what Paul shared Uh, there in Pisidian Antioch he begins by addressing his audience he says men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God you know really the first takeaway when speaking about Jesus is to know your audience is to know who you're speaking to in order to know what to say it helps to know who you're saying it to You know, interestingly, in the book of Acts, there are three major sermons of Paul, and each one is spoken to a different audience. The first one here in Acts chapter 13 is primarily to Jews and some Gentiles who would have been very familiar with Scripture. After all, they're in a synagogue. The second sermon in Acts chapter 17 on Mars Hill at Athens is primarily to pagan Gentiles, And then the third one in Acts 20 at Miletus is primarily to a group of Christians. And so the plan is to look at each one of these sermons this year and for us to learn uh, from each one about how Paul speaks about Jesus to each one of these different audiences. Here in Acts chapter 13, his audience would be very familiar with Scripture and so, that's the starting point. You know, it's hard to begin with Scripture when your audience does not know Scripture. And so, you have to know your audience. Perhaps then, the more specific question this morning is when, when we're given the opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus who is familiar with Scripture, what do we say? That's a more specific question. You know, maybe it's someone who's been, maybe it's someone who grew up going to church, but he's not been a part of a church for years and years. Perhaps you're a college student, and there's someone in your dorm who comes from a Christian family, but they're living a life far from God. Could be someone who knows the stories, but who does not know Jesus. Have you ever met someone like that? I mention that person specifically because that was me for the first 20-something years of my life. Very familiar with the stories. I knew the stories, but I didn't know Jesus. Jesus. You know, these people in Antioch, they know the scriptures, but they don't know Jesus. That's the audience. They know the stories, but they don't know who the stories are really about. You know, Luke is the gospel writer who shares this incredible scene in Luke chapter 24. It happens on Easter Sunday night on the road to Emmaus, The resurrected Jesus is given an opportunity to share the good news with two disciples who would have been very familiar with Scripture. And Luke tells us in verse 27 that beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in the Scriptures concerning himself. You see, that's the template. Jesus shows these disciples how all of the Scripture is fulfilled in him. That's the template. You know, this is hard to believe. I had to look back on this. Some of you will remember this perhaps. But back in 2011, I preached through the entire narrative of the Bible in one year. And during that series showed how every story whispers his name. Now, that phrase is the subtitle of the Jesus Storybook Bible by Sally Lloyd-Jones. And through that year, we saw exactly as we walked through the narrative of Scripture, we saw exactly how every story whispers the name of Jesus. Every promise points to the person of Jesus. On every page, Jesus asks the question, will you trust me? And so Paul takes this opportunity with an audience familiar with Scripture to show them how the Scriptures find their fulfillment in the person of Jesus. You know, as I have read through this a number of times this week, one of the main takeaways for me um, is Paul's emphasis, emphasis here on the primary actor in the story. Look at verse 17, and let's begin there. If you look at verse 17 and just look at the story that Paul shares with this group, he says that God chose our fathers God made the people prosper. With mighty power, God led them out of the country. God endured their conduct. God overthrew seven nations in Canaan. God gave their land to his people. God gave them judges until the time of Samuel. God gave them Saul. God removed Saul. God made David their king. God testified concerning him. God has brought to Israel By my count, that's 12 action verbs, in Paul's telling of this story, and the subject of all the verbs is God. He's the primary actor in the story. And here's why that's significant. It's significant because it teaches us that God has been at work in history. God has been working out his plan all throughout history. Many believe that history is completely random at best. Others believe that history is circular, that it just repeats itself. But Scripture teaches that God is taking history somewhere. You see, it's more than just... That all of scripture finds its fulfillment in Jesus, it's that all of history finds its fulfillment in Jesus. God has a plan for history, and Jesus is not just carrying out that plan, this is the plan. Paul quickly summarizes the entire history of Israel here in about six verses. That's a quick summary. But what I want you to see here is how he tells the story because he does it in a very unique way. And as he tells the story, he connects the dots to show exactly how the the history of Israel here points to the person of Jesus. There are three dots from history that he's going to connect for us here. The first one is in verse 17. There he says, the God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. The language in this verse is of God raising up his people and delivering or rescuing them with his mighty arm. And so that's the first dot of history. That's where Paul starts this story. He could have started it various places, but he starts it here and uses language of God raising up this people and delivering or rescuing them from Egypt with his mighty arm. And so that's the first dot. The second one is in verse 22. There he tells about how after removing Saul, he made David their king. If I concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him to do. The language in this verse is of God raising up David to be the king. In the primary role of the king, was to be the deliverer, to be the rescuer of the people from their enemies. And so this second dot, again, is the same language that's used, the same language that's used in verse 17 of raising up a people and rescuing and delivering them from Egypt. Paul chooses intentionally to use the same language here in talking about David, that David is raised up, he says to become the king, to become the rescuer and deliverer of my people from their enemies. And then the third dot we're going to find later on, and we'll spend more time there uh, next time I preach. But the third one is in verses 30 and 37. I want to read these for you. Paul will say in verse 30, but God raised him from the dead, verse 30. And then in verse 37 but the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Again, the same language is used in these verses. The same language as in verse 17 that talks about how God raised up his people and rescued and delivered them from Egypt. The same language that Paul uses about David as he's raised him up to become their rescuer and deliverer. Here, Paul uses the same language to speak about Jesus. God raising up Jesus from the dead. So as we connect these dots, then here's the story. God raised up a people, Israel, and rescued them from their enemy, Egypt. Then God raised up a king out of this people, David, to rescue his people from all their surrounding enemies. And finally, God raised up a descendant of David, Jesus, to rescue his people from their greatest enemy, death. Timothy Keller uh, was an author and pastor. He died uh, here recently. Uh, Many are familiar with his writings and preaching. Uh, But this is a, a great quote from him that I wanted to share with you this morning. He said, Jesus is not so much a teacher as he is a rescuer. Because that's what we most need. We did not ask to be rescued, but God in his grace planned what we didn't realize we needed. And Christ came to achieve the rescue we could never have achieved ourselves. So what does Paul say when given the opportunity to say something about Jesus? He uses Scripture to show how God has raised up Jesus to be our rescuer. And I want you to hear this because it's so important. When I learned, when I learned that the stories of the Old Testament are not just morality lessons about trying to become more patient like Job and trying to become more faithful like Abraham, and trying to defeat the giants in my life like David. But instead, when I learned that the stories of the Old Testament are about a God working from the very beginning of history to rescue me from death through Jesus Christ, that understanding changed everything for me. That's when things started to click for me. And I went from just knowing the stories to knowing the one to whom the stories were pointing to. You know, on on Wednesday, when we were driving in the van, and the girls were concerned about the lost sub, can can someone go down after them and if they if they if they did go down after them and found them then what how would you go about rescuing them and then on thursday morning when we learned the bad news concerning the sub we learned that there was no rescuer Well, this morning, here in Acts chapter 13, Paul shares with us, when given an opportunity to speak about Jesus, to a group of people who are familiar with Scripture like this one, he shares this good news concerning you and me. There is a rescuer. There is a rescuer. You see, Paul presents the story of Israel as a search and rescue mission. Someone did come down after you and me. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this This word from Paul to uh, the people there in Pisidian Antioch. And as we spend um, a couple of Sundays looking at this sermon, uh, we're thankful to begin right here. We're thankful to begin with this reality, this truth of who Jesus is. It's a rescuer. He's our rescuer. And so we, my prayer, Lord, is that truth, that reality that Jesus is the one who has come down for us and that you have raised up from the dead through with your strong arm to rescue us from the greatest enemy, death. I pray that reality, that truth of who Jesus is and and that that reality and that truth that all your scripture points to, I pray that that will fall afresh through your Holy Spirit on the hearts, on the lives of the people here today. Thank you for your word. Lord, may we live with new confidence. May we live boldly. May we live bravely, with great courage, knowing that we have a rescuer. Thank you for Jesus, and we pray all this in his name. Amen. This morning... Um, If you're here this morning and um you you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you need to be rescued. you need to be rescued you're You're like one of those five explorers on that lost sub, two and a half miles under the ocean, and there could be bad news for you, but I've got good news this morning. I've got good news. There is a rescuer, and his name is Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you this morning to come and put your faith in him. Start that life in him today. He's come to save you, to be in relationship with you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit so that you can live a life of love in him. So please come, put your faith in Christ, put him on in baptism today. We would love to be a part of that in your life. Let's stand together and sing.